Whether in the media, our government, or our schools, Christianity faces tremendous intellectual persecution. This program stands on the intellectual front lines. With disarming honesty, we engage the most difficult issues facing Christians today. I want to welcome you to Theology Unplugged, the radio outreach of Credo House Ministries in Edmond, Oklahoma. We sit down over lattes at the Credo House coffee shop and just talk theology. I'm Michael Patton, president of Credo House Ministries. I'll be leading the discussion along with Tim Kimberly, director of ministries for Frontline Church Edmond, Sam Storms, lead pastor of Bridgeway Church, and finally J.J. Side, pastor of community and discipleship at Bridgeway Church. great to be back with you guys going through problem passages of the Bible. And we're on Hebrews 13, verse 17 today. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey your leaders. Okay, so that, that might, now I'm a pastor, so that doesn't sound like a problem passage to me. I'm like, amen, obey, <laughs> obey, obey. Uh, but where it is a problem passage is where can this go wrong? Or what's the boundary for this? So for instance, what if your leader is not worth obeying? What if you actually need to leave your church and get out of there fast? How, how do we know when to actually live out Hebrews 13, 17? And here's the problem. When do we not obey Hebrews 13, 17? And when do we get out of town and go to a different church? And, and I hate to introduce something that will... Are you spinning to... right now? No, no, no. Okay. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just opening up another problem passage related to this. Okay. That is, who are your leaders? Okay. And how do you define this? And then the context. I mean, what is, what is the context we're talking about and how do we define it in our present circumstance? So we're saying, obey your leaders in the church. Is it your elders? Is it your pastors? Is it the people on the elder staff? Is, is it, it your, the people? Like, community is, group leader? Is it maybe? your Sunday school leader? Is it the person you have placed yourself under okay. as, a, as a mentor? Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of things there, but I do think that the biggest problem has to do with, in the local church, talking about obeying your leaders and what does that mean? And and really, whenever it comes down to it, we have so many situations, and you guys have all been in these situations, where people just leave. Yeah. And if they don't agree with you, they just leave. And it is so easy for us to find a different church. Mm-hmm. We don't like what our leader says, so we go somewhere else. We don't like the doctrine our leader says, so we go somewhere else. And we have a plethora of churches to go to. Yeah. And 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 it and it's a problem and I, I I would say it's a problem everywhere, but this is one of the problems that was introduced when we're talking about moving from the institutionalized church in the sixteenth century that would say if you have so many churches, if you have so many authoritative structures, then this is the type of thing that will happen. They will just always be going they will always be finding a different denomination, a different church down the road. And these churches do not communicate with each other for the most part. There's not a pastor who's going to call the guy down the road and say, hey, Joe so-and-so just left our church because he was being abusive to a woman at the church. So watch out for him. So let's get a, let's get a structure together so that everybody knows that this guy is in rebellion and he still needs to repent. How do, how, how do we 
apply this in our current circumstance. Well, well you talked yeah. about ancient history. Let's talk about more recent history. For those of you who are more seasoned listeners, um, you know, you're going to remember this, the shepherding movement, right, of the 70s, where where now your elders were not only giving you counsel about spiritual formation issues, but it was getting granular to the level of who you were allowed to marry, and you had to go and ask their permission. They had to give their very specific blessing, you know, Mm -hmm. and now leaders of that movement have come out in recent times and even publicly apologized for some of the ways in which they maybe overstepped their boundaries of of how a New Testament elder is supposed to function in the life of the believers they shepherd. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... um it's hard for us to answer the question, Michael, that you've raised based on Hebrews thirteen seventeen alone. We have to read this in the context of all of the New Testament teaching on leadership and even membership. So I would have to read this passage in light of First uh, Peter chapter 5, where Peter is exhorting the elders to shepherd the flock of God, mm-hmm. exercising oversight. And then he says, uh, not domineering over those in your charge. Now, so evidently he believed that um, in the local church, there were obviously designated elders because he's commanding them uh, in that context here using that terminology. And he envisions that there are people over whom you have responsibility. You exercise oversight. They are in your charge. Some translations render they are allotted to you. So when we read in Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders, and then it describes them as those who are uh, so much in, in uh, oversight over you, they're going to have to stand before Christ and give an account for your soul. That's a terrifying thought, by the way. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that a passage like Hebrews 13 has to be read uh, with some prior understanding of some concept of a covenant between leaders and people in the body of Christ. We want to call it membership. I know that word terrifies a lot of people, but there has to be some sort of uh, communication and commitment and mutual consent that, oh, okay, I recognize you have been raised up by the Holy Spirit, as Acts 20, 28 says, to shepherd me. I'm part of the family of God. I'm part of the flock. And you, and you recognize that I have committed to you. So there's some sort of mutual consent that is involved here. Otherwise, you know, we're left with trying to answer this question. Um, like you said, who is a leader and how did he get to be such? And to whom are those whom, uh, that, that are on the receiving end of this exhortation? I mean, they're all those are uh, massive questions that have to be answered in order for us to make sense of this. And to answer your question... What happens when somebody says, oh, I don't like you anymore. I'm out of here. And uh, they just go down the street to one of a dozen other churches that they might find more suitable to their theology or suitable, or maybe more um, tolerant of their own misbehavior. Okay, Sam, so, or Michael or JJ, when is a time where you should walk away from the leader? Give me one time for sure when you should walk away from the leader, not obey them. Let's assume that the leader is, is according to, uh, has been raised up correctly. You're a member of the church. Uh, but when would be a situation where you do not obey your leader and you walk away? And so even where you actually walk away from the church. Well, we know from Acts chapter 20, where Paul is exhorting the elders in Ephesus. They were the leaders who had been given oversight in that body. Uh, He says, you need to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. And then he gives a reason. 
He says, because I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So I would I guess you would have to ask the question, if I am being uh, told to believe or to pursue in my life twisted things, deviations from the, uh, the revelation of God in Scripture, moral or theological uh, heresy, um, I would think that would be good grounds. But even then, there's a process. I don't think that a person says, well, I, I, it, I perceive that one of my elders is teaching theological heresy, therefore I'm leaving. I'm forsaking my covenant uh, membership in this body. I don't think that's the, the answer. Yeah. Then we have to go to 1 Timothy 5, where Paul gives instructions on how do you bring a charge against an elder, and how is an elder who has deviated from truth mm-hmm. and morality being disciplined and dealt with. So there are multiple steps and multiple texts that we have to bring into play in this. Yeah, and I agree. And I think uh, you know, when we do membership at our church, one of the first questions we ask when we sit down with, with a couple or sit down with someone is, tell us about the last church you were at, if you were at a church, and then tell us about you leaving that church. And once in a while, we have to send them back. <laughs> and, uh, and I know, JJ, we've talked about uh, people that uh, went, left our church to go to your, your church, and you all sent them back because uh, they didn't leave under what we thought were biblical reasons to leave. And I think that brings up what Michael was talking about, is that we don't have this, we don't have a pope, we don't have a pope in Oklahoma City, uh, but we do have hopefully a, a brotherhood and a, a sisterhood of churches uh, where we are interacting with each other, realizing that we should care about the soul of everybody, even after they've left our church or coming to your church, uh, that they might not have left correctly. Well, and yeah, and this isn't to puff up our local churches by any means, but Michael did make the comment earlier, so let's pick it up and not let it lie. Um, it isn't, in a sense, that hard to do to communicate, uh, to care enough about sheep that whether they're in your care or yeah. they've left your care, you can still care well for them. And we yeah. pick up the phone all the time when we're having those membership meetings with people to say, hey, I heard they left you and came to us. How did they leave? Did they leave well? Yeah. And it's been such a joy to have those conversations. But I've realized that those things happen in the context of mutual trust between churches and an understanding of how big C church in a city relates to little C local churches. Little C local churches are legitimate biblically and important, but that's not in contradiction to big C church. In other words, when when you guys have a win, that's a win for me. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's a win for the gospel. And so I think churches that have competitive, sinfully competitive relationships with one another hinder that process of open communication and caring from sheep as they move from place to place because we're in competition against each other. We're not pulling in the same direction. And when that happens, sheep fall through the cracks. Well, and you have people, I mean, it's kind of like going to a doctor. You go to a doctor for an opinion, and then you go to a doctor for a second opinion and a third opinion, which is all good. But whenever you do this among churches, what you're doing is you're essentially saying, I'm not really sure I like what you're saying. So I'm going to go to a different opinion and then a different opinion. And then finally I find the one that I do like. Maybe it's a marriage issue. Maybe there is a an issue of infidelity. And one person, uh, there is a husband who is involved in pornography. And one pastor says, this is not legitimate grounds for divorce. But another pastor says, no, this is because it is a violation of the covenant and the sixth commandment and says that you have um, uh, violated the 
the uh, idea of adultery and infidelity, as Christ has said, anybody who looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery in his heart. Then the next person goes over and says, this may not be it, but, but there is an issue of abuse, so I tell you, you need to separate from this person. So you have really three different um, opinions, and, and then at the end you're saying, okay, I want to put myself under one of these people. I want to be truly biblical, but aren't we always going to go with those who we agree with most? Mm-hmm. Isn't there a point in which you find—and in the early church, I think we find this. If we look at the—and I'm not saying this is always right, but in the early church, they had a three-year discipleship process where you would actually put yourself under a certain person, and you would commit to that certain person, not only learning from them in doctrine, but also in lifestyle and you would you would do what they did. You would you would look uh, the part that they looked in front of people. You would learn from their attitudes, from the way they responded to people, and you really just decided, I'm putting myself under this person. It could have been in the early church that this is the idea here. You're not so much putting yourself under this group of elders, but you're putting yourself under the discipleship of someone who is established within the community as an elder or as a patriarch in the church. And you really just you say, it's not whether I agree with you or not. It's that I am under you. Yeah, and I think that you're trusting that God has placed them under you, and so you're. If someone really says you should not, uh, you should not get divorced, but you're like, man, I know I could go across the street, and they tell me I could, and so I need to go across the street. What you're not trusting is that God has placed you in that church, and He wants you to hear from that pastor that you should not get a divorce. I think it's. I think our listeners need to be really clear that a lot of the issues and challenges uh, about around this topic that we're talking about are not that uh, New Testament ecclesiology or how to do church according to the Bible is super fuzzy or that it's really, really complicated and difficult to be faithful to Jesus' vision for how a local church should function as much as we're hinting at lots of issues surrounding our context. We live in a particular urban metro area with a particular set of idols you know, where we can say, and I think a lot of our listeners in different urban metro areas might identify with these, you know, our people in the city are predominantly materialistic, consumeristic, and individualistic. Not, so, not us, but the people out oh, there. Oh, that's right. right. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about them. But, you know, we've, uh, we're perfected in those areas. But, you know, when you think about those three sort of idolatries, those deeply affect and run cross-grain to this idea of being members one of another, as Paul says, or as Sam said, entering into this covenant, which, what does that mean? Mutual commitment into a mutually committed relationship where it's like, hey, I'm not going anywhere. You know, through thick and thin, we're in this together. That runs cross-grain to what Matt Chandler's called ecclesiological buffet, you know, where I just browse around till I find something that tickles my palate. Yeah, let's differentiate between some issues here, Um, because you raised this earlier, Michael, obey your leaders. Um, you know, we find in 1 Thessalonians 5 a very similar exhortation, 1 Peter 5. So let's say that um, your senior pastor, one of the elders of the church, stands up on a Sunday morning and says, Hey, folks, I just want to let you know, after much prayer and study and consultation with friends and reading books, I've come to the conclusion that uh, universalism is true. I, I, I believe that uh, God is of such a nature that he will never condemn anybody to eternal damnation. So um, what I'm uh, going to encourage you all to do is to stop sharing your faith. 
uh, with other people because they have a right to their opinion, and ultimately they're going to find their way into God's presence uh, after all. Now, is that the kind of an issue that would warrant you saying, I, I have to withdraw from this covenant because you're asking me to violate clearly my conscience on what the Word of God says, as over against uh, the issue of divorce. Well, I'd really like out of, or lady says, I'd really like out of this marriage because my husband's addicted to pornography, but you tell me that's not grounds for divorce, but a, a Bible-believing church down the street does. So is one good grounds for disobedience to the leader uh, and another not? And if so, why? And and if, for example, your um, your pastor says that um, uh, all people will ultimately be saved, is that something you should then pursue with other pastors and leaders in the church? You know, Paul says, uh, don't let an accusation come against an elder except by two or three witnesses. Um, so how do we differentiate between those kinds of issues? I, I would open this up as well and say, first of all, kind of gaining perspective. Because this is not just a problem as we sit here as Protestants and say, well, look at the problem we have. You go back throughout the history of the church, and there has never been a standard way to go about this. Even whenever the church was an institutionalized or attempted to be an institutionalized authority, it didn't work either. People had problems. There were not, the churches were not in agreement about these types of things, and people were still switching churches according to the personality of the pastor and according to sometimes what they liked or sometimes that which was most persuasive. Let's not, let's not always go with, I'm just going to go with what I want, but sometimes there'll be a very persuasive argument here and a very persuasive argument there. And it's, it's these it's these difficult issues that are not quite so much just doctrine but are difficult issues in real life in raising children and how to conduct a family in how to deal with business dealings at work and then trying to come to your pastor and trying to say i am under your authority here maybe these are the types of things that we shouldn't say pastors are under authority but i, I but i think there's a real issue that's always been there, but there's also the real issue right now of trying to solve this and trying to find some way to say, how do we make this work? And we may only be able to say, we can make it work as a church staff. Maybe you, Sam and JJ, you can get together and you can have meetings and you can say, this is the covenant we write. And we can't really deal with what the pastor down the street has to say. And we can't really call him up and say, hey, let's all agree that in this situation, this is the way we're going to handle it. So let's get a bunch of churches, even evangelical church together, and say, this is how we're all going to deal with it, because it's not going to happen. Right? I, I like the way you frame the question, Sam, You know, because you're speaking directly to the listener who's saying, okay, what do I do with Hebrews thirteen seventeen in light of the fact that my pastor just stood up on Sunday and said that? And it's, there's beautifully defined for us sort of a job description, right? You look at places like Titus 1, and it tells you how a leader is defined. You know, these people you're supposed to obey. Well, he can't be angry. He can't be arrogant. He's got to manage his household well. He can't be a drunk. Uh, he must be above reproach. And then you come down to verse 9 of Titus 1. It says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So now you have 
this is one of his main functions, mm-hmm. that he's supposed to rebuke others contradicting sound doctrine. Now, he himself is standing up on a Sunday morning contradicting sound doctrine. You know, I think Sam framed the question probably to funnel us in that direction. But Scripture does a good job of, of preparing us to evaluate that kind of behavior when people deviate. Yeah, and one thing that I, I, mean, I think I want to challenge people listening right now is that, number one, if you are a leader— you need to realize, like, God is telling people to obey you. And so you, that should give you trepidation and pause. The, there should be a heaviness there of, oh, my gosh, God is telling them to obey me as I lead them towards, towards yeah, our Yeah, you don't always have to have the right answers. Yeah, exactly. But then for people who are listening that, that aren't leaders of the church, realize the second part there. They're keeping watch of your souls as those who will have to give an account and, you know, what is that going to look like for you? I mean, will you have God say, well, there are 50 people that led you because you went to 50 different churches. And so now all 50 of these people are going to have to give a, give an account for how they shepherded your soul. Or what I would challenge you is, is you have to be part of a church that's close enough that if there are 100 of you in this congregation and one wanders off and you're the one that wanders off, like you really, really want someone to come and leave the 99 and come and get you. And if if we're in an atmosphere where they're used to you wandering off, they'll say, oh, they must have just gone and wandered off to another church, where instead you're not. Like, you desperately need someone to go and get you. And so I, I think Hebrews 13, 17 for me in 2015 is, like, so dreadfully needed because uh, people are just—the church, I feel like, is so weak as it relates to membership and being a covenant part of the church. And yet, and I I totally agree with that, and yet we also want to say there are good reasons to leave a church, and there's a good way in which to leave a church. I think you should do it in any case uh, other than outright heresy. Somebody stands up this coming Easter, and um, or last Easter they stood up, or whenever it is, and they deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus, Um, ask the question, is he going to remain a leader in this church mm. and exercising authority over the beliefs and the behavior of the people? And if the other leaders say, no, that we're going to fire him, uh, then stay. But if they say, yes, he's our leader and we're listening to his teaching, get up and leave as fast as you can. Yeah. Uh, but there are ways in which you can leave that are not flippant, that are not casual, uh, in which you are in open communication with your leaders, both of the church you're leaving and the one to which you're going and people need to be careful in terms of their motivation uh, and their intent. Are they leaving embittered? Are they leaving gossiping? Are they leaving and leading other people out with them? Hey, come mm. with me. This place is going down the tubes. This needs to be approached very carefully, very prayerfully, and very humbly. And, you know, to I know we're out of time, but we're putting ourselves under someone else's wisdom Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean we're saying we are questioning everything that you say and we are discussing within ourselves, is this right or am I right? It's that at some point you say this person is is godly, he is wise, and even when there are times when I disagree, I still submit to them because I don't see myself as having the wisdom that they do. And to find somebody like that is very important. To find somebody like that in the church is very important. To be mentored, just as in the first century church, to be mentored in such a way, I think is the way we all have to go. We hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast. If it's blessed you, they'd love to hear from you. 
And don't forget to join the group again next week for another edition of Theology Unplugged. Theology Unplugged is a listener-supported ministry of the Credo House. They're a theological hub and coffee shop, and their address is 109 Northwest 142nd Street in Edmond, Oklahoma, 73013. They're open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., and Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Please consider this your official invitation. You're invited to come and visit the Credo House and discuss today's program or take a tour of the theologically rich surroundings. You might also enjoy one of their signature drinks like a Luther latte or a Nicene mocha. In fact, if it's your first time in the Credo House and you mention that you heard their program on Bot Radio Network, you can have the drink of your choice for free. For more information or to support this ministry, visit credohouse.org.